Welcome to the podcast where we bring on remarkable people to tell their stories. I'm Paul Gilman. I'm Daniel Lance. And this is Pod So One. Mark Hammerstrom, a.k.a. Hammer, spent the first 18 years of his life in Metro Chicago with summer trips to Florida to spend time with his grandparents. His grandparents happened to be friends with the charismatic and longtime manager of the L.A. Dodgers, Tommy Lasorda. As you'll hear, Mark has fond memories of Coach Lasorda. After high school, Mark went from the Chicago area to Georgia Southern University, which caused a certain degree of culture shock. And after college, one of his first jobs was working for the cleverly named Bankers Bank in Atlanta. As a massive lover of sports, Mark has always been a hockey fan. Amazingly, he started playing in his 40s and loves every minute on the ice. Mark and his wife drove eight hours from Atlanta to hang out with Paul and his wife. And during that visit, we had a chance to sit down and record the conversation. Here's Hammer. What do you mean your relationship with Tommy Lasorda? He's basically like a grandfather to me. What? My grandfather, my grandfather and him were best friends. And did you ever tell me I was, this? I don't know. Maybe I, I thought I. I mean, I thought I did. I knew you were Dodgers usually anybody fan. who likes baseball hears the story. But uh, when I was a kid, my dad, well, my grandparents retired in Vero Beach, Florida, where the Dodgers used to have spring training. Right. And they would fly me down every year. I was living in Chicago, so they'd fly me down in spring break every year. And I would get to go down on the field, and I would get to meet the players, the players and yeah, stuff like awesome. that. And my grandparents were friends with the Lasordas. And when I was a kid, we went to dinner with them. We went to an Italian restaurant. I have a picture with me and my grandparents. I, and never I did thought this. that's what all eight and nine-year-old kids did. Sure. They'd go to they go eat with the uh, eat the dinner world, with world, Tommy Lasorda, World Series champions, uh, and, and the coach. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, little did I know until later on, uh, I was quite privileged and didn't, you know, had no idea. Well, Tommy's still around, right? He is. He's 92. Holy cow. Yeah. When was the last time you saw him? I saw him, it was f- four or five, maybe six years ago. The uh, Dodgers were in Atlanta playing the Braves in the playoffs. And we were we happened to be sitting on the club level. And um, I wanted to introduce Tammy to him. So I purposely kind of like between innings and stuff, I would go out and walk the concourse, hoping I'd kind of bump into him. I generally kind of knew where the opposing team's executives sat on the club level and stuff like that. Lo and behold, in like the seventh inning, ran into him. And And did he remember you? So yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. So I I saw his his security guard or bodyguard, whatever whatever it was, and um, I said, hey, I said, Tommy Lasorda is you know close friend of the family. He's real good friends with my grandfather. Love to be able to you know introduce my my wife to him. You know this that and the other, and they they let us in. Let That's us awesome. Talk to him, you know, a minute or two, just small talk with him, and um, yeah. He's a cool dude. He, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's getting old, slowing down a lot. Not, Ninety-two is not young. Yeah, he's slowing down a lot. But he was fun. I mean, at least his day, persona. It, oh it was yeah, a lot of fun. Oh yeah, slow the slim fast and. <laughs> um, That's right. He did a bunch of commercials. All back in the kinds day. of commercials. Anything that where he can make a buck, 
Yeah, I mean, he grew, the dude grew up dirt poor in, in Pennsylvania, so he, you know. Yeah, he's he, a tough guy. Yeah, oh yeah. Everything he has, he earned. He came from nothing. Daniel, you, do you have any idea who Tommy Lasorda is? No. So if you're Mark's age or my age, uh, plus or minus 10 years, mm-hmm. uh, you know who he was because he was a larger-than-life character, but he coached the most famous team on the West Coast yeah. for a couple of decades. He might have coached longer than that, but he was really a big deal for at least 15 yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers went through a stretch where they they had two managers in about a 56-year span. That's crazy. I mean, Walter Alston was there for 20-something years, and then Lasorda was there for 20-something years. That's crazy. They had two managers. In, in five decades. Five plus. decades. That's nuts. Mm. Yankees would go through uh, 150 in 50 yeah. years. Yeah. And and then they had a broadcaster that was there for like sixty two seasons or something like Vin that. Scully. Vin Scully. Yeah. Vin Scully. Wow. Vin's no longer with us, or is he? No, he no, he he's alive. Oh wow. Yeah, he's still around. He's also well into his nineties. Um so I saw something interesting yesterday on on the way up here. Vin Scully he started calling games for the Dodgers. When they were in Brooklyn, New York, before they even moved to L.A. In the, so in the forties, in the fifties, fifties, fifties. Yeah, he started. I think he started in the early fifties, and um, but he basically he called, he broadcast a game. With Connie Mack, who was born in like, eighteen sixty two, and he also called a game with Julio Urias, Urias, who was born in nineteen ninety six. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. 130 years. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? That's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. So this dude wasn't a player. He was a coach. The he, Tommy Lasorda guy. Tommy Lasorda, he was a pitcher, um, but not a very good one. Um, and he would probably admit that. I think his, his record was like 2-14 and 14 or something lifetime. Like he, he pitched maybe two years. Pitched, he bounced around the minor leagues a lot. Oh, okay. Um, didn't have a very long um, professional career. But, but then um, he was the manager yeah. of, of the Dodgers? Yeah, and then he was the manager of the Dodgers, and he had a ton of success as a manager. Mm. I mean, he was he was the kind of guy, like, he could really rally the troops. Um, I mean, he was a just an amazing motivator. I mean, the kind of guy who, you know, go run through that brick wall, and here's why I need you to do it, and you, you would die trying. Yeah. I mean, just he's just a phenomenal um, person, very... Jovial, very big-hearted, very generous. I mean, just very infectious person to be around. Um, that's what I'll always remember. Like, I mean, like I remember sitting in that. I can still remember sitting in that Italian restaurant in Vero Beach, Florida, eating spaghetti with Lasorda's on the, my right and my grandparents on the left, and um, people just coming up. You know, just oh my God, you're Tommy Lasorda. And he's super gracious. And about just, the whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Didn't wasn't you know wasn't a dick about it. Wasn't like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, leave me alone. I'm I'm eating dinner. You know, I mean, he could have very easily just said, hey, you know, because he busy. was top ten best yeah. famous in oh, baseball yeah. when he was manager. Yeah. Even if you didn't know him from baseball, you knew him from any of the, the commercials, TV commercials, he was doing. And, you know, whatnot. So. And he was a big personality, massive yeah, personality, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Big time. So, and you're a Dodgers fan because of that relationship? Yeah. So, I grew up in Chicago, and well, do you got, do you want to like have an official start, like 
before we get in. Super official? Well, you know, the, hey, welcome to the podcast, and then you're like, thanks. I, I, feel, like, I, feel, like every, I feel like every podcast should start with that. Let's Welcome to Potso One. My buddy uh, Mark Hammerstrom is here. He has driven all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. It is somewhere between a seven and sixteen hour drive, depending on the <laughs> route you take. Took you about what seven and a half to get here? Took me yeah, about seven and a half. Yeah, just yeah. to be on the podcast, just to be on the podcast, and to, spend, well, and to spend time with me. Yeah, and to meet you, Daniel, because Mark, who by the way goes by Hammer, Hammer uh, feels like he knows you. Uh, on a pretty deep personal level because he's listened to every episode except the last two and a half or so. Yeah, that's right. That's why you said you felt like you already... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the the comment. So So um, you're a super fan, dude. Wow. I I pretty much am a super fan. I've been told that um, I'm probably second in terms of uh, how many episodes I've listened to. Do we we call out the the guy who's listened to all of them? Yeah. Roger Lee. If you're listening to this, uh, you, you... you're Muscle the only tough. one that we know of that's listened to every yeah. single episode, but Hammer's right behind you, so don't uh, lose a step to it. Yeah, well, I'm, we're I'm coming for you, Roger. Yeah, <laughs> I, I already like you more than Roger because he told me to stay in the background. <laughs> so. Roger was being sarcastic. I think he was like, "The podcast would be a lot better if Daniel just stayed in the <laughs> background." Like... <laughs> he was kidding. Anyway, let's uh, let's get on. So, so Mark, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So. Um... I met Paul in 2014. Um, we both were working at the same company in Atlanta. Um, nobody will figure out the name of the company. Nobody, nobody no. will figure out the name other than maybe the handful of listeners <laughs> <laughs> who also work for the uh, same entity uh, that we're not going to mention. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I met him in 14. Um, I actually worked directly uh, for Paul for, what, four five years yeah about four and a half years four and a half years yeah we, we based everything on height i'm like a quarter inch taller than hammer that's how that works they just lined you all up <laughs> yeah okay exactly all right you're, you're going <laughs> six three and up you guys go over here <laughs> tom tom greco <laughs> yeah tom. You're, you're over here um shout out to tom yeah. shout out to tom and, and, <sighs> and short people like and tom yeah short, short round people i <laughs> Yeah, like don't roast him too hard. He's got to be here to defend himself. He was here last night. He was here last night. Oh, okay. He came he, by to see Hammer. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I'm just repeating words he said in ways he describes himself. So I'm not saying anything Tom wins. Oh yeah, wouldn't already tell you. No, he's great. Um, so where where did you grow up? I grew up in in Chicago. Um, was born in Chicago and then uh, actually lived uh, about 45 minutes west of downtown Chicago. So. Um, out in the western suburbs, um, spent most of my, I guess, the first 14 years in a town um, called Hanover Park, which is right next to a place called Schaumburg, which most people who um, know of any of the you know, outlying uh, cities in, in the Chicago, metro Chicago area, uh, they know of Schaumburg. Um, and then right before high school, we moved a little bit further west out to a town called St. Charles. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, like a lot of your, uh, other listeners you've had on, it was, you know, growing up, it was, you know, very different than it is today. Um, you know, we didn't have DVD players and we didn't have the internet and there was no Netflix and there's no cell cell phones and, you know, heck we didn't, I didn't even use a computer until I was a freshman in college. So um, yeah, I didn't. Want, I didn't use one in college at all. Yeah. So yeah, no laptops, no tablets. So you know, we were outside a lot. 
you know, just, uh, you know, making up games and, you know, again, you know, a lot of just, you're out and your parents wanted you out of the house. They didn't worry about where you were. They basically knew you were at one of four or five of your friend's house and you were going to be home before dinner and, you know. So you're talking about making up games. Uh, one of the favorite games I've learned about on this podcast that's been made up is slow motion football. Did you, did you ever play slow motion football? I, I have not played slow motion football, nor have I ever heard of it until uh, said podcast, said episode. Oh, so, uh, no, that was, that was a new one on me. Do, do you have a game that uh, you and your buddies made up that you, you remember? So, so back when I was growing up, um, WWF wrestling was – and yeah. it's prime. And it was an F, not an E. It was an F, F not an E back right. then. So, you, you know, it was Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Randy Macho Man Savage. Um, all those guys were, you know, Jake the Snake. That was that was the prime. So, obviously, me and a couple of my closest buddies were, you know, big into wrestling. And so we, we spent a lot of time, you know, wrestling each other, you know, in, in my parents' basement or in his, you know, his parents' basement. But... Um, we took it to another level. So we had made uh we made a belt. Like the WWF championship belt that they, they wrestled for every year when they had WrestleMania. And um we made a belt, you know, just paper and um you know everybody knew what it meant. Cardboard and we yeah. colored it in probably used tape and staples and, and whatnot. It was just it was, you know, what we had at the yeah. time. And um but then <laughs> We used to uh, we used to get my little I have a little sister she's three years younger than me and we were probably we were probably like nine or ten at the time um, and so we used to tell my sister we'd be like hey why don't you come stand over here or you know we're gonna do our you know our wrestling and and whatnot but you know we're we're gonna we're gonna jump off the top turnbuckle so. We used to get up like on the back of my parents' couches, like that was the top turnbuckle. Sure, it's about the right and, height um, too. Yeah, just freaking fly down and just <laughs> nail my sister, my poor sister. She suffered so much abuse. Why did she come in there? She should have just gone to the other end of the. She was very. House. I suppose she was very gullible. Like my big brother would never hurt me, right? <laughs> well, how many times did she let that happen to her? <laughs> Probably more than she should have. <laughs> Two, two or three, but yeah. um, you know, after the first time, I would have been like, hey, "Nope, I'm tapping out. Like, I'm done. Fool me once, shame on me." Right. <laughs> I mean, you see it all the time on TV, and they they get back up and keep going. So, oh yeah, you would yeah. think that you could just sail on sail from a whatever onto somebody. Um, so one of my <laughs> one of my favorite things, uh, or favorite you know stories, or, or kind of made up games um, as a kid. We used to, we lived in like a two-story house, and um, there was a, so you kind of walked in the front door, and you had like a big living room area on the left, and kitchen was kind of straight ahead on the back, and then there was a staircase that went up to the bedrooms to your right, and there's probably Mm -hmm. 13 stairs or something that it went up, and I told my sister, I convinced her, I'm like, hey, um, take this jump rope, tie it around your waist tied in a knot, go to the end of the hall, take a running start, jump off the top landing, and mit, you know, in the air, once you're in the air, it'll turn into a parachute and you'll just glide down. She's like, all right, great. And I'm, I'm down there with like a camera. And back in, this, this was probably around 1980. Um, maybe, actually, probably a few years after that, early 80s. 
So, you know, again, no digital cameras, none of the, the high-tech camera, you know, things, you know, that you, you can do with your cell phones and stuff nowadays. I mean, my camera was like literally you put a roll of film in, you slide this button over to advance the film until it was ready, and that's how you took the picture. You literally, like, slid this lever. Yeah. And um, somehow, or, you know, again, I'm probably like eight or nine years old at this time, maybe 10 tops. Um, I convinced her to do this, and I go down there with this camera to take a picture of it. And I actually caught a picture of her, like, in midair, her pigtails flying the jump rope and her little dress, like, in in the air. I mean, it's amazing. Of course, she hit the ground and freaking <laughs> plow um did she not see that coming no well, no she, she thought i was a parachute uh, <laughs> she was waiting for the parachute she was convinced the parachute she was, was convinced work. the parachute uh there was no there was no parachute so again she figured that out the hard way so but, but you, you got the picture i got the picture um and i still have it so um so you know we have a good laugh about it you know when we get together for holidays and stuff they're all like oh you remember that time you told me to when did she first laugh <laughs> it was probably, I, I think she was out of high school or college before she finally found the humor in it. Um, but it's good. We can share a laugh about it now. So I'm glad she found the humor in it. Yeah. Did you play uh, a ton of sports growing up? So I played baseball and basketball growing up as a kid. Um, was really never good at, at either of them. Um, I'm pretty sure... I never batted 200 in baseball. The Mendoza line, yeah. Yeah. Don't think I ever broke 200. Uh, led the team in strikeouts, fair number of time. Also, so it, it's funny, too, because my Pony League team that I played on, which is for 13- and 14-year-olds, we won the Pony League World Series um, oh, wow. in our in our district when I was, I think I was 13 or 14. Um and I led the team in strikeouts and hit by pitches that year. <laughs> Did your coach so, maybe say, "Hey, get scoot a little closer <laughs> to the plate"? So, does a um, two hundred is that like a you only one fifth of pitches you actually hit at bats? The denominator's at bats. Yeah. So, number of times it got on base. Okay, so one fifth of the times you walked up to the plate, you actually were able to get onto one of the bases. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So. Never, never. I mean, I loved loved baseball, um, loved everything about the game, um, and it, it's funny too because I had a friend I met in high school, and you know, I was never good enough to play on the high school team. Um, I had a friend that moved; he was a year younger than me, moved to Illinois from Nebraska. He was actually a, a wrestler, um, really good wrestler. A lot of good wrestlers coming out of that part of the country, yeah. for sure. Yeah, um, but he's also a good ball player. And, you know, by this time, I was probably like a junior in high school. So any, any you know, ambitions of, of, you know, becoming, you know, a decent ball player were, you know, pretty much gone by this point. Um, but, you know, he took me to the batting cages one day and he told me, he was like, hey, you know, you're, I can tell you're, you're not watching the ball, you know. And I remember my dad as a kid, he'd be like, Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. It just sounds like something Keep people your, say. Yeah, it right. sounds, sounds like something you say, right? Like, yeah. Um, go wash your hands. Okay. Um, but I never really did it. And then this friend of mine, Steve, 
when you know he he says I can tell like you're 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 looking away you're not you're not keeping your eyes on the ball watch that ball all the way in watch it make contact with your bat and all of a sudden I just started crushing the ball in the batting cages where was Steve when you were in seventh grade and I'm like holy cow this information would have been extremely helpful like well, like like really you really need to keep your eye on the ball I'm, yeah I'm serious like, I'm not Watch kidding all the way. I was actually uh, <laughs> so yeah so. You know, basketball, you know, again, the same way. I was, I was always tall, um, but I was, um, I was skin and bones. I mean, I looked like if I, if I showed you my high school basketball, um, picture, um, I never played on the varsity team. I played on, you know, on the freshman, sophomore teams and the JV team. But, um, I mean, I looked, I looked like I was. Ethiopian. Do you think you were I mean, skinnier than bones. skinnier than Booney was when he was that age? Yeah, it's funny because I I heard, I heard him say make this a similar analogy, and I was like, huh. I was like, I'd love to be able to compare those two pictures <laughs> because, I mean, I, I even like I even I saw the picture. I just cleaning out home office a couple of years ago or something. I came across the picture. And I'm like, geez, I'm like, uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, no muscle whatsoever. Just. All just a bag of bones, man. <laughs> just all bones. It was crazy. Um, Paul showed me a video of him playing basketball. Uh, it was like a no, actually, ten second spot. Kevin showed they me the video. It, yeah, and Paul was just you're kind of a, you were a little bit more of a heavy set dude. I was also 35 in that. And Hammer's talking about when he was 15. You were 35 in that in that video. Yeah. Oh, okay, I thought it was like middle school, Paul. No. <laughs> It was just I, this, I was I was skating when I was in high school. Big too. dude, just trucking people down the court. Yeah, I was a grown man. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that was not when I was fifteen. That's All funny. right, I'll let that comparison go. So, yeah. were, were you dropping bombs from uh, outside, or were you playing on the inside, or? I usually played center and forward. Okay, so yeah, yeah. no bomb dropping from me. So it's it was funny. So I remember um, one of my most memorable games, probably memorable for the wrong reason, was uh, was actually playing against pretty sure it's the high school my mom went to um she grew up in a town called villa park and um they had this kid of course this is you know this is in the early 90s right so you have the you know chicago bulls going up oh yeah yearly against the detroit pistons who were the bad boys at the time and at that time it was before the bulls finally hit their stride and were able to overcome uh detroit so the uh, the Pistons rather were kind of had the Bulls number. One of the guys all the Chicago fans loved to hate was Bill Lambert. Oh yeah, dirt just dirty player, right? Um, he was, so he was good too. He, yeah, 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 he was good. He also went to Notre Dame, so I have several reasons for not liking him. <laughs> He's he wasn't a very <laughs> sorry to your Notre Dame uh, <laughs> fan listeners. So. All, all two of them. <laughs> Go blue. Um, <laughs> he's, a, he's a Michigan fan. If you haven't figured it out, I had to yeah. throw, I, throw that plug in there. Yeah, I needed, I needed that spelled out for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going back and forth with this kid, and we were just being physical, right? It was clean physical sure. basketball at first, and then it just kind of escalated. And finally, I'd had enough, and I just threw an elbow at the kid, and I got at his head. At his head, yeah. And I got kicked out of the game. My parents in the stands. Oh, like, were they embarrassed? They were. They were. <laughs> what was that all about? I was like, sorry. 
You reminded me of so Bill Lambeer. They, they start calling me Bill Lambeer. I'm like, oh, you can't do that. <laughs> Clean it up. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So I ran track in high school. Uh, I ran cross country actually as well in middle school. Um, I just decided like I hated running long distances. It doesn't seem it's, like a lot of fun. Yeah. It's not, and and there's no. It's hard to it's hard to stay competitive. Uh, and focused in, in cross country because it's it's well, you know while you're on a team and you know there's individual results and there's team results but um, you're you're by yourself largely right and it's just I just I just I lost interest yeah, yeah. I ran track though in high school I actually got my letter high school letter nice. in, in track and field I ran hurdles um, so funny funny story about my my high school hurdling career so. One of the track coaches was also the sophomore basketball coach, and he kept trying to get me to come out for the track team. And I said, "Yeah, all right, I'll I'll do it." And it kind of wrapped up in, in Illinois. We had indoor track, and then we had outdoor track. Indoor track kind of started like right when you went back to school for the second semester, um, and because it's cold until it could be cold until April or May up there, you know, just depending. Mm. Um, so you kind of start with indoor season and then eventually you, you go into outdoor. So I said, all right, I'll come out. And I think part, part of me, I did it cause I was just trying to kiss his butt so I can get more playing time in basketball. So I was like, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll it's not do a bad it. move. Yeah. I'll just, yeah, I'll just do it. I'll, I'll stay in his good graces and stay, you know, front of mind kind of thing. So he's like, all right. So I come out. He's like, you're going to be my hurdler. He, he kind of looks at me, looks at my legs. He's like, you're going to be my hurdler. I'm like, all right. So in the 110-meter hurdles, um, the natural the natural thing is to, you know, you, you, you come out of the starting blocks, you go over the first hurdle, and then you're supposed to take three steps and then jump over the next hurdle. So you're always going over the hurdle with your lead leg. Yep. I couldn't. I couldn't ever get the timing. <laughs> I could not. Um, so at, at first, I was doing five strides because I was trying to always go over with my right. my predominant lead you're leg. Doing, you were short stepping it. Yeah. So he was trying. You know, as the coach, he was trying to get me to stretch that out, and you know, he wanted me to get it to three. Could never do it. Mm. Could never do it. I got down to four. So I would alternate. Going over with wow, my, that's hard. Yeah, so he even made a, a little joke about it. So when I got my when I got my letter my senior year, you know, he was like, "In only four step hurdler I've, I've ever seen in my life." <laughs> <laughs> so did it? Uh, I mean, did it work? I mean, it worked for me. Um, you know, again, I was I was average. I mean, I wasn't you know I wasn't great. Um, you know, it, you know, and it, it's just. It was something to do, you know, mostly for me. I didn't, you know, I didn't take it real serious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if I if I put my mind to it and I, I wanted to, I could probably get to where I could, you know, get to three. But um, I didn't really have anyone that kind of pushed me either. So you know, mm-hmm. I just like I said, I was just kind of this is kind of something to do. Like I, you know, I played basketball in in the fall and early winter, and then. You know, we had indoor and outdoor track after that, so it's just kind of something to 
keep me engaged, you know, after yeah. school year round. Keep so. the body moving. Yep. That's good. It's, it's good stuff. Very cool. So you moved to Georgia right after high school, right? You're, I did. Yeah, your um, dad got a job down in... So my parents, um, my dad's job got transferred to Atlanta in really in November 91. And then they moved down in January 92. Um so I always tell people my parents traded me for a snowblower. <laughs> they uh, didn't have, I figure they have much need for a snowblower in Georgia. So they uh, bribed my best friend's family, whose name's also Mark, nice. uh, to take me in for six months. So I could, you know, at that point I was right in the middle of my senior year of high school. Yeah, brutal time to move. Right? Yeah. So, you know, uproot me to Atlanta and go to high school and graduate with, Mm-mm. you know, a bunch of people you know for six months. Yeah. So I got to uh, I got to stay behind, finish out high school, and uh, meanwhile my parents moved, and my sister moved down to Atlanta, and then I um, I moved down basically the day after high school graduation. So, and then uh, got but, a summer job. We got we went to college down and got Georgia. a summer job bagging groceries at Kroger. Yeah, and nice. uh, I basically went to so I had my heart set on going to Illinois State University in Normal Illinois. And that's uh, southern, it's central Illinois, okay. right smack in the middle of cornfields, yeah. part of America. Um, got in, was pretty much you know enrolled and, and ready to rock and roll. Um, and then when my parents, uh, when my dad's job got transferred, I, I basically started looking at something closer to home. Um, at that point in time, I didn't have a car, so trying to figure out how I was going to get from rural central illinois to atlanta and back and forth was going to be hard yeah, uber not wasn't, having a car uber wasn't a thing back then no no uber so you know it was either going to be you know fly in and out of chicago or st louis and then take a bus you know it was, it, so i said you know what i'll just i'll look somewhere closer to home and I went down to Atlanta for the first time on spring break in March of 92. Went to look at Georgia State University, which is right downtown Atlanta. And then Augusta College, which is about two and a half hours east of downtown Atlanta, I-20, going out towards South Carolina. I knew five minutes after I got to Augusta College, I wasn't going to school there. Yeah. It's uh, it's basically a commuter college. No, can you know? I don't. I don't think at that time, if they even had on-campus housing, it was very limited. So it's basically a day school. Yeah. It's basically a day school. Not a lot of you know activity after two, three in the afternoon when classes got out. Um, and I also got into University of Tennessee Chattanooga and Georgia Southern. So my mom was wanting me to go to Georgia State because she was kind of wanting me to learn. All very southern places for a kid from Chicago, right? Yeah, all very yeah. different. Yeah. Very different. Um, my mom wanted me to go to State because she wanted right me there. to kind of – It's right there. Yeah. Um, she wanted me to kind of learn Atlanta and, you know, make it my home and that kind of thing. But part of going to college, you know, part of that whole experience is, you know, going away and, and living on your own and, and that sort of thing. Yep. So I really narrowed it down to Georgia Southern and UTC Chattanooga. And even though Chattanooga is half the distance closer to home than Georgia Southern was, I picked Southern because it was in-state. So I basically went there sight unseen. Wow. Um, Had no idea what I was getting into. Um, 
And you want to talk about culture shock? You know, I went from yeah. Where is it in? in so it is. Um, it's in a town called Statesboro. It's about forty-five minutes um, west of Savannah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's it's in deep southeast Georgia. I mean, middle of cotton fields. And again, this was nineteen ninety-two. Um, so Statesboro in nineteen ninety-two and Statesboro in two thousand twenty are two very different places. Right. It was a dry county back then. Um, just Whoa. you know, not a not you, a. Do you know what yeah. a dry county is, Daniel? No alcohol. That's the, exactly what that yeah. means. In the South, it was pretty prevalent through yeah. uh, through the nineties. Dang, that's weird. That's it's hard to separate my notion of college from alcohol. Yeah. Um, so if we wanted like, you know, if we wanted liquor and stuff, we had to go, we had to drive 20 minutes to the Candler County line. Oh, you could just get across the County. Okay. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, literally 200 feet after you cross the, the bull at Candler County it's line, a bunch of there's, them, there's a store. They even had a little drive through. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like an yeah. old bank. Yeah. We're so cool with you getting uh boost that we're going to give you a drive through access, yeah. but the County next door, you can't get anything. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, so they did, they did healthy business, <laughs> I bet. Yeah. uh, at least until 1997 when they finally passed a referendum to, to allow liquor. So again, because it was a dry County, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of places, you know, like there was no, there was no Longhorns. There was no, Oh, Charlie's, there's no Applebee's, there's no Chili's. I mean, you had, you know, you had like, I don't know. You had like the local pizza place, two, um, two to four holes in the you, wall. You had, a, you had a Chinese place. Um, you know, I think you, you had you had the typical fast food places. You know, your Hardee's and Burger Kings and McDonald's, but you didn't have like real, you know, many options to choose from when it came to like sit down dine in restaurants. Right. And a lot of not, apparently a lot of these places had plots of land already kind of earmarked for when liquor referendum passed. So uh, when it passed in 97, like the next day, it was like Longhorns is coming to Statesboro. Oh, Applebee's wow. is coming to Statesboro. Ruby Tuesday. I mean, it was just, you know, like a, a conga line of restaurants announcing they're, they're like coming the, in. The county finally figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so from that point on, I mean, you know, now they got like hibachi Japanese restaurants and stuff. Now they're I mean, fancy. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you it's, go back often? I do. I usually go back down twice a year for football games. Um, That's cool. You you get to see how much it changes every couple of years. Yeah, and it changes like every year. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. I mean, it's. I even said to my wife, you know, last time we were down there, I was like, uh, because not only has like the campus changed and and the town changed, but like even our football, our football team moved from one double A, uh, which is now called. Um, FCS, FCS yeah. um, up to Division One, FBS, and um, when they did that, you know there had to be certain requirements for the stadium and stuff. So they put like a a second level on the stadium, and they closed one of the end zones in and, and increased the there's seating. Big, there's it's big money in college all football, kinds right? of stuff. Like, and I remember it was the game; it was the first game I went to, and I was sitting there at halftime, and I'm looking around the stadium, and I, it's like. It's it's sounds silly, um, but I was like I almost came to to tears. I'm like I just I can't even believe this is the same place I went to college. Yeah, I mean it's just changed so much. Place buildings that existed, dorms that existed when I was going to school there don't even exist anymore. Actually, one of the places I lived um, 
actually, I think both of the places I lived on campus are, are gone. So, you know, to your point, it's just constant change, mm. you know, and, and it's, it's a good thing, right? I mean, the only thing that's, you know, changes, change is constant, right? So if you don't change, you get left behind. Um, but you know, it's, it's always need to kind of reminisce about, you know, what it was like back in the early nineties. Yeah. I mean, it's almost 30 years ago now. Yeah. What did you study at Georgia Southern? I studied finance. So I graduated with a bachelor of business administration, uh, finance with an emphasis in banking and a minor in economics. And one of the banks you worked at, we'll come back to Georgia Southern in a second, but uh, one of the banks you worked at is my favorite bank name ever. Can I say it? I think you can. Is it the Banker's Bank? Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is a cool name. Is it still around? It is not. Yeah. So, so we're, we're okay saying it. Yeah. Yeah. So sad story there. They, um, that was probably one of the greatest places I've ever worked. Um, the culture, the environment, really, everything was just kind of top notch. Everything was just very well done. Um, great people working there. I had a team of people, again, to use the, the, the brick wall analogy. I mean, team of people I had working for me would do anything for me. So if I said, Hey, run through that brick wall, they'd die trying. I mean, it just had great setup, um, very generous. And it was, I thought I could see myself retiring from, you know, a place like that. Like I had no, no vision of, you know, ever, ever leaving that place. This was um, late '90s into the early 2000s. So this no, this is like 2001 to 2006 into 2007. I mean, you're working so at a place left called t- Bankers Bank. I mean, yeah. If you if you're in banking, yeah. Who doesn't want to work at Bankers yeah. Bank? Yeah. That's where I would go. Right. If you're in into banking, sure. So for your listeners, um, the Bankers Bank was basically it was a correspondent bank. So we provided other services to small community banks that they didn't either have the capital or the manpower to do on their own. Um, so you were a bank for banks? Yeah. Okay. Hence the name. Hence the name. Yeah. And uh, so two things happened. One, um, my boss met the CEO of my current employer in, I think, late 2006, um, maybe early 2007. And they were, they were a startup at that time. And um, my boss became an advisor to to this company that uh, where I'm still currently employed. And then in April 2007, um, he said, "Hey, um, I want you to have lunch. Come with me. Have lunch with these guys. They got a bunch of questions about. At that time, I was managing um, a portfolio of commercial and consumer credit cards." So they said they, they got a lot of questions about, you know, how do you underwrite a business and, you know, how, how do you manage the risk and this, that, and the other. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll come have lunch. You know, he's like, it's, it'll be great. They're nice guys, free lunch. I'm like, right on, sign me up. So we go, have lunch, talk shop. About four months later, they had asked my boss to kind of jump ship, leave the bank and and move over to to this company and for him it would have been more of a lateral move um and i don't think he was really interested in, in, in making a lateral move especially to startup so he was like hey you know like you know it's not the right fit not the right time for me um but you should really talk to you know kind of my number two guy 
He was my right hand. I'd hate to lose him. You can talk to him, but I'm giving you a heads up. He's very loyal. So you can talk to him, but he's probably not going anywhere. Just giving you the heads up. So I go have uh, <clears throat> I go have drinks with the CEO of our company. And the one thing our CEO is, he's extremely entrepreneurial. Um, he's a salesman through and through. And he had this business plan. And it wasn't pie in the sky, which which is weird because after you get to know him, it's like, hey, we're going to be a billion dollars in four months. <laughs> everything else is pie in the sky after that. But at the time, everything was just very methodical. I'm like, wow, this this could really work. And he 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 sold me, man. He had me hook, line, and sinker, and uh, made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And next thing you know, uh, I'm gone. I, I leave the banker's bank. Yeah. Uh, and the second thing. Uh, that happened was so I think it was it was either 2009 or 2010 I'm pretty sure it was 2009 um, yeah it was 2009 when the, the uh, last major recession hit and um, a lot of the real estate developers because mortgages got hit really hard a lot of the um, a lot of the mortgage companies and and then the developers who you know had loans with these mortgage brokers and whatnot the uh, developers started going bankrupt, especially on commercial like high-rise condos in, in the Florida Panhandle and stuff. Well, one of the things that the Bankers Bank did was they did loan participations where they would take, um, you know, these $120 million um, commercial real estate loans and they would, you know, broker them with, you know, 10 or 15 small community banks so they each got a piece of the pie. Well, when these developers started filing bankruptcy, it literally sank the Bankers Bank. Oh, wow. Um, to the point where the FDIC came in and shut them down. Oh, holy cow. And, I mean, I was like, wow. I was, I mean, if you would have told me three years ago that the FDIC was going to shut this company down, I would have said, you're you're crazy. Yeah, 09, looking back to 06. Yeah. So, so you know, it's... I like to tell our CEO, like, hey, you know, I, I, I left this extremely profitable, very generous bank to come start work with the startup company that, you know, when I joined it, you know, it was several years from becoming profitable and, and successful. Yeah. So it's kind of our running joke. It's like, I knew it all along. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I knew that this, this bank was going down and, and your finance company was going to take off. I yeah. knew it all along. <laughs> And, and, it, it, uh, and it did. And it, it did. did. Um, I did not know that because if, if I did, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. Um, or maybe I would just have a different story to tell. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hammer, as a, a kid, you were playing basketball and baseball. Yep. Uh, and as a – were you in your late 30s, early 40s when you picked up hockey? 42. 42. From Chicago. From Chicago. Didn't play hockey in Chicago. Moved Never. to Georgia as a late teen, and then you pick up hockey as a 42-year-old. How did that happen? And tell us about hockey in Georgia. So I have been a fan of the game of hockey since I was probably seven or eight years old. I remember first game my dad took me to at the old Chicago Stadium, uh, Blackhawks, North Stars game. Uh, North Stars were in Minnesota at the time. Yes, they were. Um been a fan of the game for 30 years um never played it though did you skate as a kid uh, not exactly yeah um 
No. I mean, just, you know, every once in a while we'd go, a couple times um, we'd go skate on, you know, like ponds and stuff in the winter when they froze over. Um, or, you know, a bunch of, you know, when we were in high school, a bunch of us would go to local ice skating rink and, you know, but it was more about hanging out with, you know, friends and, and stuff like that. You weren't focused on the skating. No. Yeah. Um, so two of the, uh, two of the guys that I work with, they're, um, one of them, their, their son plays travel hockey and started, uh, I guess they had like a father son, you know, kind of scrimmage game after practice one time and started going to a, you know, adult, uh, learn how to play hockey clinic that one of the rinks and they have in Atlanta offers on Wednesday nights. Um, and then one of the other guys that we, we work with another guy that you guys have had on your podcast, William, ah. started also going to the clinic and, and he didn't grow up skating either. No, he grew up in rural Georgia. Yeah. No skating in rural Georgia back then. Yeah. So they were trying to get, they knew I was a big hockey fan. Um, and they were trying to get me to come out and it took them about three or four months before I, I finally caved in. Cause you know, I'm like, Jesus, I'm 42 years old. Like, I can't, I can't break a leg or you know something right here, break an arm. Seems you know, right dangerous, now, right? right? Yeah, at any age. Um, so I go to this clinic and I come home. Well, it the clinic at that time was it was an hour and 20 minutes. It ran from seven to eight twenty, and um, I think about ten after. Well. I get out there and I fall like three times in the first 10 minutes. Yeah. So the guy who's running the clinic says, let me, let me look at your skates. I'm like, all right. He looks, he's like, do you have those sharpened? And I said, no. I was like, he's like, you, you need to get your skates sharpened. I mean, I took the skates right out of the box and went right out. <laughs> I, I didn't know. Yeah, right? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like, no, I know I need to sharpen my skates. So he yanks me off the ice. The guy goes and sharpens them, come back. And now I'm skating like a champ, you know. But I fell like three times in the first 10 minutes. I'm like, Jesus, I'm making a jackass out of myself. Like, why am I here? Yeah. I'm getting bruised up for what? And you know what? These guys were, none of them were like, hey, look at this asshole. He doesn't know what he's doing. Or why is this guy, why is this guy on the ice? Like, come on, you know, go, go play golf or something, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what you're supposed to do when you're in your 40s. You're not supposed to take up ice hockey. <laughs> Just take up golf, so, but they not they were all just like building me up, like hey, keep your chin up, hang in there, you know. Super cool okay. about it, yeah. By so that all happened like the first ten minutes. So I'm off the ice for about another ten minutes. Get my skates back from being sharpened, and get back out on the ice, and I'm out there for about another five or 10 minutes and we're doing these sprints and these drills and you know stuff like that and i'm literally just hunched over on my knees i remember you telling me the next day about air. it yeah like i'm literally about to die and i'm like i look up to the clock i was like this thing's got to be about over it's like 7 25 i'm like oh my god there's 55 no more minutes of this <laughs> like i am literally going to die so you know i make it through I push through. I, I come home. I mean, I've only been off the ice for 45 minutes at this point, not even an hour. I live like 20 minutes from the rink. And my wife's like, hey, how was it? Did you have fun? I like, 
I think I made a really big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I was hurting everywhere. And this is only 45 minutes after I bit off the ice. I'm already hurting everywhere. You're already like, sore. There's no way I'm getting out of bed tomorrow. Like, it was brutal. But um, uh, next week I went. And, I mean, I tell you what, like, I I fell in love with it right away. I mean, I was, I was hooked. After I got past the initial, like, you know, pains and whatnot. I mean, I, I mean, like I said, I've been a fan of the game for 30 years. But I, I just absolutely loved it. I mean, I was hooked immediately. So I signed up for, like, this beginner's league. Um, and, uh, I mean, I just, you know, from there it just kind of took off. Now I'm playing in two different, you know, leagues, one that plays on Friday nights. Oh, wow. And yeah, so um, I absolutely love it, man. Just it's the greatest thing. So forward skating to me seems like I could figure that out. I could yeah. eventually get to a good place where I'm forward skating. Forward skating with – uh, a puck and a stick seems a lot harder to me. What seems impossible to me is backwards skating with a stick and and trying to defend the guy with the puck. So, yeah. are you able to backwards skate at this point? I'm, I, at this point, I finally got it. Um, it took me a couple of years to to figure it out. It's it's a it's a difficult concept to grab, and it's it's a very different motion than skating forward. Um, so it took me a while. Um, I usually, I play, you know, usually one of the offensive wing positions. Um, the defensemen usually spend more time skating backwards. Right, right, right. So I've never really had to, but it was something I wanted to learn just to improve my own skill set. But I think I finally got got the hang of it. And it's, I mean, hockey around is tough, man. Like, it's the only sport where you, first of all, it's the f- fastest full contact sport. Yeah, you're on ice. It's the only sport where you have you you have some other piece of equipment on your feet. So you're not, you know, other than shoes, right? I mean, right. you're not you're not on your own two feet. You got this other piece of equipment in there. You're on ice, um, trying to you know trying trying to skate, carry the puck, you know, look whether you know you should pass, skate with it, you know, shoot. Meanwhile, you got two or three guys, you know, bearing down on you. They're ready to kind of take your head off. It, it's, it's not, like I said, it's not an easy game. It's not a game you're supposed to take up when you're 42 years old. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I absolutely love it, man. And, I'm, the, and, and the funny thing about it is, and I don't know, like I said, you know, I learned a lot of things about baseball and, and basketball too late. Um, when I actually said, oh, you know, keep your eye on the ball. Watch it all the way to your bat. You know, hey, when you do when you do a jump shot, you, you bend your knees, bend your wrists. Don't, you're staying too, you're staying too rigid when you're shooting. Right. Once I started doing all those things, I became a much better basketball player and a much better baseball player. Um, so I'm actually pretty good at hockey. It turns out. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, and again, I don't know if it's because, um, you know, I spent. 30 years, you know, watching the game. So I kind of, you know, I understand the concepts and what, and again, don't get me wrong. I'm not like leading the league in scoring or anything like that, but it's, you know, like I was never a good basketball player. I was never a good baseball player, but you know, I score from time to time in hockey and get a fair number of assists. You know, I don't, you know, F up to, you know, to right. the point where, you know, it's detrimental to the team. So, um, so yeah. That's awesome. Are you uh, on the same team with William and Stefan and those guys still? I am. Yeah. Yep. What, so, what's your record this season? So we are. Um, oh God, I'm not sure what our record is. I think we're like 
uh, 12 and 4. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're actually we're actually really good. So this team was put together from scratch three years ago. Right. Um, and there's basically, there's kind of like a, a winter season, which runs from October through early May. And then there's um, a summer season, which usually goes from June through early October. Um, we're actually still, because we had a, a three-month layoff because of you know coronavirus, we're still working on the the winter 2019-20 season. Oh, wow. mm. um, we just resumed two weeks ago. Mm. Um, but we put this team together three years ago, um, mostly guys who came up from the Beginners League. Um, none of us had ever played together before as a team. So, you know, we didn't have any chemistry. You know, we were, had to kind of fill each other out, learn each other. Um, we were 2-18 and 18 our first season. In the Beginners League, in, in well, in this this open league, oh, got it. Um, which is kind of a level up from the Beginners League. So we were horrible, two and eighteen. Um, not a lot of fun to be had. Not a lot of people scoring goals. Um, got a little bit better the next season. I, I think we may have won five games. Um, we lost a couple of players. You know, it's not uncommon. So in the Atlanta Amateur Hockey League, you basically have um, nine different levels, if you will. So there's there's basically lower A, well there's A, there's double A, and there's triple A, and then in in each one of those you have lower, middle, and upper. So you have like lower A, middle A, upper A, and then lower double A, mm-hmm. yeah. double A. So, yep. so you know some of the the better guys, you know, um, you know move up, you know if they if they start to get you know really good. Um, so we, we had lost some of our better players. Um, we replaced them. Um, we got even better the, the, the following season. I think we were kind of like basically 500 cracked even. And then last season we, uh, we made the playoffs for the first time. Oh, wow. And actually ended going all the way to the, to the, basically the championship game. Um, the team, the team we were playing hadn't lost in the playoffs at all. It's kind of a double elimination. We had already lost once, so we would have had to beat them twice in a row. Um, They ended up beating us uh, the the first time we played them, and then we were out. So, But, I mean, we'd come a long way. Yeah, yeah, Um, it's like the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. So this year we're in second place. Um, Like I said, I think we're 12-4. and We got uh, four more, four or five more games to go. This is the it. playoff start. This so. is the year. Yeah, I'm fingers crossed. And you were um, off for a while, but everybody else was. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know the way when you first started and everyone was being nice to you, even though you kept falling and all that. Do you think that's an, an indicative of hockey culture in general? Uh, because that's kind of funny. I mean, it's funny that it's it's such a rough brutal. Sport. brutal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and you I hear about NHL players not having any teeth, you know, because that's just how it goes. Yeah, but um. Do you think that it's a generally like friendly, accepting, welcoming community? So I think there's there's kind of like two camps. There there there's there's some guys in the Atlanta Amateur Hockey League who are just phenomenal, great hockey players. Um, you could tell they they played you know upper upper level hockey either in juniors or maybe even high school and college somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are the guys that are, are are more likely to be like oh you know. 
look at this jackass. You know, he's like, he can't even stay on his skates. Mm. Those aren't the guys that are coming to these kind of clinics, though. I mean, these guys, those are the guys that are so far advanced that they're playing in, you know, other like stick, you know, we call them stick times. They're basically like pickup games. Um, but the guys who are coming to, you know, to like the clinic where I started, um, they're, they're either guys that, you know, you know, either they're, they're new to the sport like me. A lot of them come over from roller hockey, I've found, and they're, they want to make the switch to ice. Um, or, you know, they're, they're, they're decent skaters. They, they're not necessarily those, you know, triple A and double A guys, but they're, they're better than most beginners. Um, but they want to help people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't have, you know, all that context. So that's why it was a little intimidating for me to go out there. And I was like, you know, I started falling. I'm like, oh man. But I didn't, you know, when I didn't experience that, you know, I started talking to people like, nah, these guys are just, they're, they want, they want to help you. They want, they want to, they want to get, help you get better. And at the end, and when it's all done, we're all going to go drink beer in the parking lot. And that's what it's all about. <laughs> um, so it was, I found that it's, you know, it, it, at that level, you know, you don't get a lot of the, you know, when you, when you don't, when you take those serious guys out, you know, out of the equation, um, you know, it's, it's different. Yeah. The, yeah. And the guys that uh, are teaching clinics, they are, they want you to learn. It's not just about them saying right. things or, or having you do things. They want to make sure you're improving. And the best way to do that is to be supportive. Yeah. 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 So I got a, got a funny hockey story. All right. Love it. So, um, so I taught, you know, come, come home that first night and just in pain everywhere. And I think this was, this actually happened probably about six, six months, between six months and a year after I started playing. I was at one of these stick time games on a lot of times on the weekends, if they have extra ice time, that's not being used. Um, they let the Atlanta amateur hockey league have the ice. Everyone pays like 20 bucks. You, you, know, you come out and you play 10 on 10, just kind of pick up game. And I was playing with, um, I think it was my first time playing with like double A guys. Um, and maybe, you know, some like upper double A guys. I was definitely out of my element. Um, and one of the guys I kind of knew who started out kind of, you know, again, lower level, and, and he just really good player. He, he's moved up through the ranks. Um, he was on the other team. And I knew him. You know, we're friends and everything. And we collide. And we were both going for a loose puck, and, you know, we collide. And I go down butterfly style. Oh. So I, I, land on, I land on my knees. That's not fun. And my knees just sp- shoot out they splayed you splayed splayed in opposite directions and i was like oh i heard like a pop like i definitely knew i like pulled my groin like this isn't good so i you know i I finished you know i kind of like i knew i was kind of hurt but i didn't i didn't know how bad and you know a lot of times when you're hurt you know you got that initial there's like that initial shock or that adrenaline rush so you, you don't really feel the full extent of it right away yeah so I, I'm able to make it through the, the rest of the game and, you know, I get off the ice and I'm just, I'm kind of limping and like, man, my right side's hurting, my left side's hurting. I'm like, man, so I go home and I'm like icing my gro- both my groins down. Because you so splayed. Yeah. I basically, I basically pulled both groin muscles <laughs> at the same time. So my wife comes home and I'm sitting there on the couch and I just got ice packs on both sides she's looking at me like what the kind of like uh, andy from the office 
Uh, yes, at, when he the, the night before uh, Jim and uh, Pam's wedding. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. So I'm in pain, man. I've taken I've taken Advil. Like I've I've done I've done ice. I've I soaked in Epsom salt in the bathtub. Like nothing's moving the needle, man. I'm in so much pain. So I'm like, I'm gonna put some icy hot on my, I'm on the inside of my thighs. Like that'll that'll you know because when I get muscle pains, I put icy hot on right. And and you tried a lot of other things. Yeah, tried a lot of other things. Note to self. Do not put icy hot on the inside of your thighs because they are a little too close to something else. <laughs> to some sensitive areas. <laughs> to some sensitive areas. And uh, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> and holy cow, it felt like someone was holding a lighter to my manhood. The pain was so It was intense. worse. It, it, took your, it took your mind off the other one. Oh, yeah. My groins felt great. Um I have oh, never man. experienced pain and burning like that ever. <laughs> and my wife is in the bed and she's crying because she's got tears in her eyes from laughing. <laughs> I am literally in the bed writhing in pain. I grab my phone. I'm like, how do I, how do I, you know, what happens if you get icy hot on your, Yeah, because you, you can't wash it off. There's nothing no, you can you do. No, you can't wash it off. And, you know, apparently I'm not the only person this has happened to. Um, and if you ever need a really good laugh, Google that because some of the things people have wrote, it'll make you <laughs> piss your pants. I mean, it is one of the funny, some of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, there wasn't much to do other than ride it out. <laughs> yeah. A couple of people were like, uh, sit in a, sit in a hot, uh, in a bath with cold water. Um, and then other people were like, yeah, I tried it. It didn't work. And. They're like basically you just got the next thirty to forty five minutes are gonna be rough and you just gotta ride it out. Yeah, you gotta ride it out. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. That was brutal. <laughs> Dang. And well, ride it out you did. That's kinda of funny, which makes me think of our standard question, Daniel, that I, you should probably ask. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. So Well what, well, do we need to ask it? I guess for the two or three new listeners, we should probably ask the question. But Hammer clearly knows Hammer the knows the question. Because he's heard it in about twenty five. I'm gonna ask the abbreviated form. Yes. So Hammer, uh would you rather be a, a Stand-up com- would you rather try to be a stand-up comedian or enlist in the military? So you're right. I've, I've had a lot of time to, to think about this. <laughs> All um, seven and a half hour drive, right? Yeah. Well, and, and the uh, 22 podcasts, there are 22 <laughs> episodes I've listened to. Um, so I've had a lot of time to think about it. Um, but I'm sticking. So, you know, early on, like in episode two or three, I'm like, I, you know, I kind of, I kind of like, ah, uh, if, you had asked me that at that time, you know, here's how I would answer. And it hasn't, surprisingly, it hasn't changed. Um, but I, I definitely think I'd, I'd try the, the stand-up comedian route. Um, I don't know that I'm a really good, like, storyteller. Um, and I don't I don't think I necessarily make people laugh, but I like to make people laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a lot of respect for comedians. Um, I, I mean, I'd love going to a comedy club and... Um, we have a place, place in Atlanta we go to two, three times a year. I just, I love laughing. Um, I think it would be really cool to, to work, you know, kind of craft, yeah. hone, hone my, uh, skills to, tr- you know, try and try and make people laugh. And it, I know it's hard. Um, you know, I, you know, even some of the, the greatest comedians, you look back on, you know, documentaries or, you know, whatnot and, you know. A lot of times you just think they were overnight sensations, right? Cause yeah. You didn't hear about them, and the next thing you know, they're on Saturday Night Live or they're, 
Johnny Carson or Jay Leno. Yeah. But there, but there were years. But of there work. was a lot of yeah, a lot of years playing little rundown clubs in you know podunk towns where they probably failed. And they yeah. weren't super funny at the beginning too. Right. In yeah. A lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so but I think how long would your you know, because it takes years for some people. So, like, what would be your uh, give up point? How many how many months or years would you be like, all right, I'm not funny? I think I'd at least I think I'd at least stick it out for a year, year and a half. Nice. Um, and then you know, if, like, if I don't see uh, I don't see some improvement or you know <laughs> some positive feedback, then like, all right, I tried. Let's now let's go do something. Else. Yeah. Now let's go to the military. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I like the fact that you're kind of running to the notion of being a comedian. Right. We've had some guests who are like, yeah, I, I'll take the uh, comedic route because there's no way I'm joining the military. I don't want to get shot. At. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. No, it's you know both of my grandfathers were uh, were in the army. Um, my dad's father was uh, um, in the Air Corps, Army Air Corps. Yep. He's a pilot. And then uh, my mom's father um, actually fought in World War II. Um, so, which I didn't know that until not too long ago oh, wow. i always knew my other grandfather was was a pilot in the army but i didn't know my other grandfather was in the army let mm-hmm. alone in, in world war ii world war wow um so yeah so um but my dad dad never had the you know the military um you know bug and of course you know at that time when my dad was you know my dad was 40 born in 46 so when he was 18 you know you're now you're starting to get close to Nam and so there's you know not a lot of people like voluntarily saying yeah yeah sign me up for the military yeah in at this in the 60s so um so yeah so all right right on so yeah hammer one thing i know about you you love music uh you your wife my wife and i went to uh, a concert had a couple of bands in, in atlanta uh, we were at braves park i guess at suntrust park mm-hmm. uh i love my wife so i went I like hanging out with you, so I went, but it's not my kind of music. <laughs> it was definitely uh, my wife's kind of music. I know your wife loves music from the 80s, and so I'm a little embarrassed to say that I went to this concert, but because I was with people that I enjoyed spending time with, it was it, I enjoyed myself, but I'll just throw this out there. Hammer and, and I, along with our wives, went to see Journey and Def Leppard. <laughs> I don't know what you're laughing at, Daniel. Okay. They're, they're they're amazing in concert. No, they actually the concert was really good. Daniel's Daniel's like who's Journey? <laughs> yeah, I, I know I, I know both those guys. Uh, I don't know why you'd be embarrassed though. Eighties uh, music is not everybody's taste. I was more of a sixties seventies like Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, and then I kind of skipped the eighties and liked grunge. So uh, I, I wasn't a big eighties like, guy. There's eighties music like Wham and George Michael and. Culture Club, and then there's you know Michael Jackson, but then there's eighties rock. So there, there was good, there was good music from the eighties. It's just the eighties was just kind of out there, like bright yeah. and loud, and not quite everybody's thing. And Def, Le- Def Leppard and Journey had some really good songs. So I'm, I'm being partially facetious, but it was not a concert I would have gone to on, on, no. on my own volition for sure. Mm, let alone flown back to Atlanta. <laughs> right, I, I was I flew to Atlanta for the weekend to go to that concert. <laughs> you yeah. also saw the Ava Brothers too, right? Was that yeah, awesome? Yeah, Hammer and I saw the Ava. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I love those guys. Oh come yeah, on, dude. So phenomenal. here's the deal. So Daniel plays a few instruments. He what you play them for a year or two, and then you're like, I'm gonna move on to another instrument kind of thing. It's kind of been the pattern, yeah. But you enjoyed the, the music for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, whether it's it, we'll call it bluegrass sort of thing, and I don't want to speak for you, but when you and I went to that Dodgers game, we'll come back to Daniel's uh, 
the kind of music Daniel likes playing and I, I think listening to. I, you and I, had we been to the Journey Def Leppard concert at that point? Or, um, or we at least knew we were going to go to it at that point. We at least knew we were going to go because the Avett Brothers was in July and I think that concert was in August. So, But yeah, we knew we were going to go. We had planned we had already had concert. That. So we're at a Dodgers-Braves game and Hammer's a huge Dodgers fan. I'm a big fan of watching baseball in person. I have a tough time watching it on TV, but in person, it's a very different experience. It's a lot of fun. We're because I'm with Hammer, we're on the Dodgers side, and I think in like the sixth inning, they mentioned fifth or sixth inning, they mentioned that the Avid brothers are going to play at the end of the game. And, I, and Hammer and I have been to a couple of games before that. Yeah. Leave around the sixth or seventh inning, right? Because nine innings can be really long. Long time. Depending it was on a week kind night of game. too. It was like a Wednesday night. Yeah, we had work the next day, and so I think before we heard the Avid brothers are going to be like, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna cut leave out after the seventh inning. Yeah, sixth, seventh inning, whatever. And he said, Avery Brothers, and I looked at Hammer, I'm like, I actually really like the Avery Brothers. And Hammer's like, I do too. And I said, Hammer, did you know they were going to be here tonight? He's like, nope. I'm like, what a magical surprise for us. I knew the Dodgers were going to be here, and that's all I cared about yeah. at that moment. And the game and then, the game was a good game. game was a good game. And then and we got then, to listen to the Avery Brothers. Yeah, that's it was awesome. awesome. It was a great little show, too. Yeah, they're, they, they they're put so on a, they're very good live. Yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah, they're all like multi instrumentalists, and they, yeah. their their voices go so well together. Uh, I saw them up in Charlottesville at that uh, what's it called the UVA Arena. Oh, uh, John Paul Jones. John JPJ. They played in JPJ. Yeah, so it's a big venue. Yeah, no, it was big. It was big. It was before the Rona. Before yeah, the before pre, the pre Rona. Yeah, Hammer yeah. Hammer in pre Rona times. How many concerts would you go to in a year? We on average, I, th- I think we probably go to like. Eight, seven, eight concerts a year. I mean, you went to one in January, February. We went, we went to one in February, uh, right before the Rona. Um, we saw Hall Notes in New York City yeah. at Madison Square Garden. Wow. Um, my wife's a huge. My wife loves eighties music. Uh, huge Hall Notes fan. Never seen them. Um, so she looks. You know, she looks and she's like, "Hey, they're gonna be. Um, they're gonna be in Hawaii in in on March thirteenth or something." I'm like, we just, I just took you to Hawaii last year for our 10 year anniversary. I'm not flying 13 hours to go see Hall Notes. Right. Like, they're, 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 and oh, by the way, spend about $8,000 in getting yeah. there and staying there. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, oh, well, they're going to be in Madison Square Garden in February. I'm like, oh, okay. That's great. So a couple of days go by. I was sitting around one Sunday afternoon and I said, hey, when did, when did you say Hall Notes is going to be in New York? And she's like, oh, let me pull it up. And she's like, February 29th. Okay. I was like, eh, get on the Delta app and tickets. I was expecting, you know, the air, air, round trip airfare from Atlanta to New York be like 350, 400 bucks. I forget what it was. It was like stupid cheap. It was like $185 or $205. I mean, it was something just stupid cheap. I'm like, that's, that's doable. Like, yeah. So it's like, and my wife's never been to New York City. So she, she's been wanting to go for a couple of years. So I said, um, how would you like to go to, you know, see Hall Notes in New York City? And she's like, in the, are you serious? In the garden, too. In the garden, yeah. no less. Which didn't mean much for her, but more of a big deal for me, right? But after she'd been in there, though, it's, yeah. it's a really unique venue. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we got we saw Hall Notes at the end of February when we were in New York City. And then uh, we had seven other concerts on deck. Oh no! For this year, that have been canceled or postponed. So freaking Rona, man. Yeah, that's cool. Um, oh, I was just thinking about something. 
but I bluegrass forgot. music. Were you thinking about bluegrass? No. Uh, oh, February 29th. That's yeah. A big, that's a big deal. That's a big day too. Leap day. Yeah. Well, leap day and Rona. Like there were parts of the American population were like, eh, maybe we have a problem. That here. was close but, to the. But yeah, it wasn't it was the majority. Really close. It was, and it was it, at that time. It was like Seattle and you know Washington State was like, hey. I think we might have a problem here. Right. Um, and you started, you know, anecdotally hearing about it, you know, places on the East Coast. And, um, you know, and I'm not going to lie, you know, when we were riding the subway around New York City and whatnot, I'm like, don't touch anything, you know. Touch, yeah. You know, because, you know, it wasn't kind of, we didn't know it was going to become what it did at that time. Especially and it in was, New York. It was only yeah. two, three weeks after we left there that it, New York became like the epicenter for yeah. this whole thing right and i'm like oh man we got out of there just in time yeah um so yeah so it was uh it was a good time so you like uh you like building concerts into your yeah. regular routine yeah i'm huge sports fan huge music fan um yeah so the so rona's to, been killing you dude rona's totally <laughs> killing me I, you know i've i've already not been able to go see the dodgers they were supposed to come to atlanta in june um, so I missed out on, you know, it's my kind of my one chance to, yeah. know, to see them they, play. It's one series one, year, They right? come here, they come to Atlanta rather for one series a year for three games, sometimes four. I, I hit all three games cause you know, it's the only time I get to see them live. Right. Um, yeah, I've had seven concerts, you know, just whacked. So, Man. um, yeah, it's, you know, it is what it is. Um, but it, it sucks. Yeah. yeah, I love you know, love going to listen to live music, um, and it just, kind of feels like it's lost time too. I, yeah. I mean, we're not just going to be able to repeat twenty twenty no. and next year. No, it's it, it, it the twenty twenty just feels like a throwaway year. Hmm. It just you know, it's you're, we're just going to look back on it and it's like, well, it didn't really accomplish anything that year, and we just kind of existed. So yeah, other than my son graduating high school, I'm like, what what has the Gilman family done this year? It just like kind of just made it through, made yeah. it high kind of thing yeah oh, yeah it's man. been a weird year super weird all right so you're a bears fan bulls yep bears bulls and dodgers and dodgers we're not gonna go white Sox or cubs you're clearly a dodgers fan. yeah so if and blackhawks and black oh, we'll, we'll throw the blackhawks in there if you could pick one of those four to win a championship next which one of those four do you want to see win the championship <sighs> the dodgers yeah i knew you were gonna say that the dodgers for a couple of reasons so the Blackhawks won three Stanley Cups in a six-year period, you know, in the yeah, in yeah. mid 2000, you know, from 2010 to 2015. Um, Blackhawks were just dominating at that time, um, so I've got you know got a taste of that. Um, you know, the the uh, the Bears would love nothing more than it's for been, them to get it's another been Super Bowl. Thirty-four years, right? It's, it's been a long time, so they're they're a close second. Um, the Bulls, you know, had a good run not that long ago, you know, six six championships in eight years, and and should have been still eight. a little should've bit bitter eight. that it should have been eight and eight, but yeah, it is what it is. Um, but it's been a long time; it's been since '88 for the Dodgers, and we had it in 2017. Yeah, totally got had robbed it. by your what team, ha- no less. <laughs> what happened in 2017? So, oh God! I'm gonna have to listen to some Paul, shit here. Paul is Paul is an Astro Houston Astros fan. I, I am a uh, very proud Astros fan, but maybe not so proud the last couple of years. And I'm okay. a Dodger fan. And at the time, they're 
pretty unlikely teams to have made it to the Met in the World Series at the year. They both had really good seasons, but Astros don't exactly have a long, you know, history of success or winning. So, yeah. but they had a lot. They had a really strong core group of young players that just studs. They had a phenomenal season. Dodgers had a phenomenal season. They ended up meeting in the World Series. So I'm working for Paul at the time. So we just had so much fun. We were watching the games together. At one point, we were um, happened to be in northern Kentucky at one of our other sites uh, for two of the games. And the one game, it was just back and forth for nine It was minutes. an amazing game. That was an awesome game. I mean, Houston would hit like a three-run home run. Paul's in the bar going crazy. I'm like, ah, it's over. Paul's just like, ah, you know they're gonna the Dodgers are coming right back. I'm like, no, nah, it's we're, it's I'm the I'm negative Nancy. Okay, I'm the reverse. Like, oh, it's, I'm, it's I'm done, reverse psychology. You're, you're, you're in the you're in the fetal position. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the, once again, I'm in the fetal position. <laughs> so of course, you know, like next, you know, half inning, the Dodgers come to bat, and first guy gets you know walks, and the next guy gets a double, and. Huh, you know, next guy pops out, then runners advance, and then next guy, boom, three-run bomb. Holy crap, we just tied the game up. And I, I um, went from being jubilant to like, oh, and, crap. And now done. I'm the one in the lobby of the hotel just hooping and hollering, uh-huh. and I'm like, hey, give me another beer, <laughs> more bourbon. And uh, the game went into extra inning. I think it was game six. It went World back Series. and forth it, 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 four, the, five, The game six was times. back and forth. And then it goes to extra innings, and even in extra innings, I forget how many innings that game went. Um, but the whole series, it, the series that it's best of seven, the World Series. Um, mm-hmm. The game went the, the series went the full seven games, and the Astros ended up winning in the end. There was a lot of there was a lot of scuttlebutt. Oh, at the time, you know I do about, remember hearing about this. Two of the Dodgers pitchers, one of whom, one whom was a mid-season, you know, July thirty-first trade line um, acquisition, a uh, guy named Yu Darvish. Yeah, you know, um, the other guy is Clayton Kershaw, and there's rumors, scuttlebutt going around that they were like tipping their pitches. I'm like, Clayton Kershaw has won like two or three Cy Young awards. The dude is one of the greatest left-hand pitchers of all times. There is no way he's and, tipping and, his pitches. And that's just not who he is. Yeah, It's not who he is either. Mm. He's too good for that to happen. So a couple of years, you know, fast forward, and, and now we found out that, you know, the Astros were stealing signs and <laughs> banging on drums and yep, um, allegedly wearing wires and all this crazy stuff. So, um I have a little bit of a, a, a bitter taste in my mouth just because that was such a great World Series. It was so entertaining. Did, did they get Even if you the weren't title? a fan of either one of those teams, um, it, it was like just watching it. It was just so entertaining. It was gut-wrenching as a fan. Yeah. And the, and the problem is, uh, for me as an Astros fan, look, we'll never conclusively prove it, but there, when the talent is that amazing and that comparable – any edge might tip the scale yeah. and, and probably did. What uh, Once again, we'll never know. And I'm like, wow, you, your team was so good. If yeah. you're an Astros uh, member of the Astros organization, the team is so good. Why screw around with yeah. that? And I, and I get that uh, cheating in baseball, go back to 1919, uh, guys doctoring baseballs as pitchers, things in their back pocket, things in yeah. their hats. I mean, it, it's – 
but it's still not fully acceptable to do that sort of thing. And so great, you, you tried to cheat and you got caught, like stop it. This should be a pure game. And if you're the Astros, why do you want to do that and potentially win and then have it come back yeah. on you later? Like it, it just tarnish seemed, it. it. The fairness thing it is one thing, but the level of stupidity. Like, yeah. why do it in the first place? I'd rather lose than win that way. Yeah. And I can't believe that the team that I've rooted for since the late '70s would pull that crap. Yeah. Do they? Do they still count, or did they get it? Technically, it still taken. counts, but they probably should get their title taken. And I'm saying that as a, a pretty big fan. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Dodgers yeah. should probably have that championship, but it's it's never that simple because you can't conclusively prove anything, and there's a lot of money at play, and yeah. Mm. Yeah, so the Dodgers last won the World Series in 88, um, which was also October 15th, 1988, gave me one of my greatest memories as a sports fan ever, uh, Kirk Gibson. Game one, yeah. Only at bat in that entire World Series. Yeah, and I remember it. I watched it live, man. It was um, amazing. I do, too. That's one of those moments where – I I can remember I can't I can't remember what I did yesterday I can't remember what I did last weekend I could barely remember two hours ago but I can remember like my surroundings where we were like when that happened yeah. like, it was one of the greatest moments of my life aside from marrying my wife yeah um, and which Gibson, I'm obligated to say <laughs> Gibson uh, had won a World Series with the Tigers in 84, mm-hmm. and he was a phenomenal athlete, prime of his career. By the time he made it to the Dodgers, he was still a good ball player, but he was he was on the, he other, was on side the other side of, prime, of his prime. And uh, he was injured. Yeah, so he had really bad knee injuries, um, and he, he basically had one at-bat. He came in in the ninth inning as a pinch hitter. Against the closer, a really good closer. Dennis Eckersley, one of the best closers game of baseball, and just – Guy Dodgers got a guy on base and he just drills. Um, he's down, I think, in the count. Like he he was down at one point, zero and two, no yeah. balls, two strikes. I think he evened it up, and he just jacked a home run into the right field bleachers. And it was in L.A. In and L.A., the place went nuts. Wow! If nuts. you go back and watch it, like on YouTube or something, a lot in, it, back back in the eighties and even into the nineties, Dodgers fans always caught a lot of crap for showing up to the games late and leaving early because it was the kind of California thing to do. Yeah, yeah. You can see, like, if you look at the video of that home run, you can when when the the ball lands in the stands and the place just goes berserk, you can see, like, the brake lights of cars, like, stop. And, you know, like, they were leaving, and then they they knew something big happened. They kind of, like, stopped and – we're like, whoa, what, you know. <laughs> oh, man, they missed out. Yeah. Missed out, but there was such a, uh, a noise. Uh, and, From the stadium. Yeah, that, yeah. that it caught people in traffic. It caught their attention. It was yeah. amazing. Cool. Well, very cool, Hammer. Uh, this has been fun. We've been going about an hour and a half, maybe a little bit longer. Um, thank you so much for yeah. coming to Richmond. I'm glad we got to do this in person. Glad we could uh, talk about your story. Uh, anybody you want to talk about real quickly before we end the recording? Like I, you don't tell everybody this, but you have a couple of uh, granddaughters in your yeah. Room, right? So, um, so I'm married for the second time. I, I got it right the second time around. <laughs> uh, got married, not super young, but young the first time, and um, yeah, it lasted about seven years. And I just realized I, I wasn't happy, and I realized life is really short, um, and just you know, kind of going. Going through day to day unhappy. There's just no way to go through life. So, um, 
you know, I ended it, met my, my current wife. We were actually working at the same, at the, the banker's bank, another plug for the banker's <laughs> bank. Um, and, uh, she had also been married before she has a son. Um, when we started dating, he was 13. Uh, when we got married, I think he was 14, 15. So, you know, I'm coming into his life as a stepfather when he's a teenager. That's just, you know, a hard time to come into to anybody's life. Um, you know, because when you're a teenager, you don't you don't want to be told what to do. You don't want to spend time with your parents, especially by a guy you just stepped a couple years, yeah, earlier. that you don't yeah. know. And so that was that was definitely hard. Um, that was a you know a big adjustment um, for for all of us really, um, not just for me. Um, but um, you know, I love him like he's my own son. Um, he uh, got an early start on. Uh, being a being a father, uh, he was 18, so um, I was 37 when we found out, and 38 when my granddaughter was born. Um, so <laughs> I was kind of like, huh? I didn't think. Uh, I don't know too many 30-something uh, uh, year old grandparents. I'm like, yeah. uh, got to be some kind of record or something. But uh, I've since learned out it's not quite as uncommon as I, I thought it was. But it's it's definitely a little unchartered um but in hindsight man greatest greatest blessing in the sky i mean i love that i love her name's emma she's eight years old now and i treat her like she's my my own child you know the child i never had i mean she's got me wrapped around oh yeah i mean i'd do anything for that i think i've only told her no like maybe (laughs) once once that i can remember yeah um i mean she she pretty much you know gets what she wants i mean i love that child so um, and then we just, uh, we just found out that, um, he actually has another, uh, little girl. She's three, um, with, with another girl that he was dating after his first marriage ended with Emma's mother. Um, we didn't know, um, we kind of suspected that there may be another grandchild mm-hmm. flown around, but they had a really nasty breakup and, um, he basically told his mom in so many words to stay away and not to intervene. And so she kind of respected his wishes. Um, but then, uh, she reached out to him earlier this year, right before the Rona. And, um, we got to meet our, our other grandbaby. So, and the grandbabies got to meet each other. Cause I, yeah, I, I they have got visual to. evidence of that. Yep. It's yep. Cool. So, so yeah. So, um, good stuff, man. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thanks a lot for coming on, man. Yeah. Really appreciate your time. This was great. I had fun. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe through whichever app you're using. To share your thoughts, head over to our website at podso1.io, and there you can comment on episodes or send us feedback directly. Thanks for listening.